My name is Matt. I'm the microchurch pastor. I'm excited to be continuing this sermon series on Live Green, the essentials of discipleship. So last week, Pastor Brooks started to break down verse 19, the teaching them to obey imperative, and she talked about what we're supposed to do and teach, which is learning his word and then living that out through obedience. And then this week, I'm going to talk about the how to make disciples and how to reproduce, how to basically the nuts and bolts of how to actually go and make disciples. So we're going to read the Great Commission again. By the time we're done with this series, you're probably going to have this memorized because we read it every week. But if you would, if you're able to stand, even if you're online, this is just a way we honor God's word as we read it. And I'm going to read Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. It says this, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age." Jesus, come and have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, lead, teach, and guide us this morning as we endeavor to fulfill this commission that you have given us. We love you, and we are here for you. If you agree with that, could you say amen? Amen. You can have a seat. All right, I'd love to start by just asking you a personal question about your middle school or high school career, and that is, how many of y'all cheated when you were in middle school and high school, right? Not all of us were following Jesus when we were in that time, um, but I, I want you to remember how you cheated. If you didn't cheat, this is what you do. You find uh, the smallest piece of paper or your arm or your hand, and you learn how to master the art of writing in size two font, which is what I did. And you find, again, you write down the most important pieces that you need to know in the smallest space possible so that you don't get caught by the teacher you're trying to hoodwink, right? And this morning, I'm going to implement those strategies of cheating, and I'm going to teach you how to cheat. But we're going to do it for Jesus, okay? So... What we're going to do is look at the cheat sheet you got in. If you are in person, if you didn't get one of those sheets on the way in, wave your hands and our ushers will come give you one of those. Those are important. We're going to be looking at those a lot today. If you're online, we're going to throw up a QR code for you to look at as well. Take a shot of that, download that, and look at this because this is going to be a half page of the overarching principles of how to make disciples. This is going to be a teaching-heavy sermon this morning, but I'm excited. I'm a teacher, so I'm excited about it. Now, there's going to be some overlap over some other things that we've done over the past few weeks, but I'm going to dive into this and not explain everything equally. Again, like I said, because we've gone through some of this before, but let's take it from the top. So if you want to pull out that cheat sheet and look at that, we're making disciples. That's what Jesus has called us to do. In order to make disciples, you have to know what a disciple is. And for us at Greenhouse, the way that we define that is a follower of Jesus who is, say it with me, living in the green. Now, the difference between a disciple and a disciple maker, which Jesus calls us all to be in the Great Commission, just so we're super clear on that, is a follower of Jesus who is living in the green and intentionally reproducing this in others. See, a good disciple maker is going to help the person that they're discipling take the next step closer to Jesus, whether they know Jesus or not. And next week, Pastor Mike Lane's going to be talking about what we do if somebody doesn't know Jesus, what that discipleship evangelism process looks like. Um, this week, I'm going to be focusing on teaching, but 
um, looking at this from a holistic point of view, and that next thing on your cheat sheet is what we call a discipleship pathway. And this is a brief summation of the steps that someone's going to take from not knowing Jesus to being the disciple maker that God's calling them to be. Now, based on how we saw Jesus and his disciples make disciples is how we created this pathway. It starts with a relationship. So it's a new connection, a new connection with somebody that you don't know yet. You begin to form a relationship with them. It doesn't start with preaching necessarily. It doesn't start with teaching. What it starts with is loving that person where they're at, beginning to get to know them, build a relationship with them, and hopefully they'll move to a place where they become interested in spiritual things, right? So you start to have intentional conversations, leading them in that way. Now, again, Michael talk about this next week. People aren't projects. We're not just, they're not just people that we're trying to get to know Jesus. They're people that we want to know and love and value and not just be something on our spiritual radar, so to speak. But once you do that, hopefully we're having intentional conversation. You can have a gospel conversation and they can start following Jesus. That would make them a believer in Jesus. Now this believer category could be because they're brand new. It could be because somebody's been following Jesus for a while and they haven't really put their faith fully into action, which is what we would call a disciple disciple, right? A disciple is someone who lives in the green. And then the next step for someone who's a disciple is to become a disciple maker, fulfilling this great call in the great commission. So this just gives you kind of just a a general framework. That's kind of the big picture stuff, the general frame for where we're going to be going today. And today we're going to be spending a lot of time in these four next points of the disciple making essentials. Because I think if you can put these four things into practice, you can become a phenomenal disciple maker. Because church, that is what we are called to do. That is our mandate. If we say we are following Jesus, then there's no getting around this, that we're called to make disciples. Now in America, we've watered down our Christianity to attending church sometimes and reading our Bible and praying when we feel like it. But that's not the vision I see in this book. Jesus said, go and make disciples, not lukewarm, apathetic, self-centered American Christians. That's not what he said. All right, so, so what we're going to do is go back into this and see what it means to be and make disciples. Now, the first three weeks of this sermon series was Pastor Mike breaking down living in the green. So even though that first bullet point is green and disciples living in the green, we're not going to spend much time there. But for those of you who are new, what living in the green means is that we are worshiping God. It's this yellow arrow, this movement of worshiping God. And what it is is that we give ourselves to him and out of the abundance of that rich relationship with Jesus and that time that we spend with him, which we call abiding, out of that pours a mission, which is the mission of God, leading people back to him and giving our money generously, being people who are on the mission of God. And we do that in community with other believers who sharpen and encourage you to live out this life that God has called us to live because that's what we're made for. This is where we will be fulfilled. But it doesn't end there. I think a lot of times Americans, we, we hone in on us. We stop at us. We talk about how we're going to grow in the Lord, how we're going to start living this out. But the thing is, our worship song that we sing in church a lot of times is it's all about you, Jesus. Right? I think the life song that we live and we sing is it's all about me, and sometimes it's about Jesus, right? So, so we've got to shift that because the kingdom doesn't end with me, it ends with Jesus. I think a lot of times we think we're the starring role in the movie, but you're really one of the like thousand extras in the background. But we want the spotlight, but we've got to continually shift that spotlight back to Christ and allowing other people to see that as well. 
That's what disciple-making is all about, right? We're living in the green, but disciple-makers also, this second point is, have a vision for multiplication. They've got a vision for multiplication. They see the big picture. Now, if we really want to get a grasp on the genius of Jesus' words in the Great Commission and how he is literally in two verses tying up the last 4,000 years of theology and missiology, which is the mission of God, we've got to turn back to the beginning. So everybody, everybody say Bible time. All right, we're going to go back to the Bible here. So I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 1. Now, this is great if you're new to church or you just started following Jesus because all you got to do is open it to the first page, Right? You're going to look like a pro because you know where to go. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. Let's read this passage here. It's going to be the foundation for the Great Commission. It says, God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, in these two verses, we see a pattern emerge of creation, impartation, and blessing. So God's original design for humanity was to bless them, and that was their mandate, to be a blessing, to be fruitful, and to multiply. And this blessing was so that they could fill the earth, right? That's the original intent. And it's interesting that God's conduit of blessing was humanity. It was people. But then everything kind of goes downhill from there, right? Humanity tries to do it on their own. It becomes a hot mess. Genesis 11, pentacles with like the Tower of Babylon. It's just, it's just a, it's a mess. And so what seems like what happens is that God goes into Genesis 12 with a reboot, like God's do-over plan. He finds another couple to functionally start again with, which is Abraham and Sarah. And Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says that, and every time you hear the word blessing, I want you to say that with me just to kind of reinforce how much this plays into this passage. It says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Notice the repeated pattern here of creation, impartation, and blessing. And this is the wild nature of God. God says, I'm going to create the, uh, the father and mother of all nations. I'm going to do it with a barren couple who are almost pushing triple digits. I mean, God's like, no, I am a creator God. I'm going to create a nation functionally out of nothing. I'm going to impart my blessing on them so that they can be a blessing to the rest of the world. Not just a small people group, but to all the nations, like we heard from Andrea two weeks ago. But so here we have God creating, imparting, and blessing to Adam and Eve, to Abraham and Sarah. But why? What's the purpose of that blessing? It's so that they can then go and be a blessing. They can go multiply and reproduce and be the conduit of God's blessing to the nations. Okay, now hold this in your thought. Fast forward to the Great Commission because you have to think, Jesus is talking to his 11 Jewish disciples and they have grown up. The spiritual blueprint of their mind and their heart is the Tanakh of the Old Testament. They know these stories inside and out and so they're interpreting all that Jesus is saying through these lenses and they start to see this ancient pattern emerge in the Great Commission where Jesus is saying he is going to be creating a new people group, not just Jews but Gentiles as well, which is absolutely 
absolutely revolutionary to the mind of these disciples. He then imparts to them all the authority that he has is now given to the disciples. The spirit of God is now given to the disciples and he allows them to do this, why? What's the end result? Jesus wants his disciples to pick up the mandate and the blessing that was given in Genesis so that they can then go be the disciple makers who will fill the earth and subdue the earth with the kingdom of God and usher in the glorious reign of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus knew that this is the best way to live, the best way to be filled, to have peace, to have joy, to all the things that we desire in life actually roll up into the fact of us living out this faith and reproducing, multiplying this in other people. We become the conduits of God's blessing as we point people to this way, this truth, and this life. How amazing is that? That the original intent of God's design for humanity, the thing that he said to the first humans ever, Adam and Eve, is now tied, and we are a part of this narrative. We are a part of this blessing. We have the opportunity to do what God originally called humanity to do. Church, this is our call. Like, this is our mandate. This is what we're created to do. More than climbing the corporate ladder, more than being accomplished in your academia and your scholastics, more than being the best in your profession, more than being a social media or a YouTube influencer, we do ourselves a disservice when the vision of our life is so small that we miss the opportunity and the understanding that we have an opportunity to be a part of something that is greater than any story or any vision that we have ever seen or heard. I get so tired of leadership gurus saying, what's your vision? What's your vision? Your vision is too small. That's what it is, leadership guru, unless it's rolling up into the vision of making disciples and subduing the earth under God's glorious reign. Yeah. Because when we are following Gee, when we're in line with God's vision, when we're firing on all cylinders, we're not just being disciples. We are making disciples. Healthy Christianity is one that is intrinsically multiplicative. That was God's plan from page one, Genesis one, the first couple in humanity. Healthy disciples multiply and make other disciples. And have you ever noticed that it's the best way to learn something is actually to have to teach it to somebody else? And you also realize sometimes how much you don't know until you try to teach it to somebody else. Is this not true? So my daughter is nine. She's learning the 50 states. And so she has this song that apparently nobody knows. I said it at nine o'clock. I'm like, does anybody know the 50, nifty United States? Anybody? No? Okay, yes, yes. Validation, 1115. All right, so she's learning this song, and she's like, Dad, Dad, listen to this, listen to this. And she starts singing the song. She gets like Mississippi, and she kind of stumbles. She's like, well, what's the next one, Dad? I was like... Mississippi. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember them to save my life. It was one of those things I knew it at one point when I was in third grade, but I do not remember it now. So I had to relearn all the 56, which is horribly embarrassing geographically that I couldn't name them off. But it's one of those things where I realized that sometimes the best way to learn it is to have to teach it to others. It codifies it. And this is the genius of God's design of disciple making even. When we're teaching to obey everything he's commanded us, we are intrinsically bringing that back up, resurfacing those truths and that reality in our own lives and in our own hearts and our own spirits and our own minds and allows us to reinforce what God has called us to do. And I think the problem is in American Christianity, we're so big on like, how can I improve? How can I be a better disciple? Lord, what do you have for me? Let me listen to this podcast. It's, it's all about us again, that we miss the intended end goal 
that God had the entire time, which is to be a disciple maker. Right? He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the blessing that we bring. We are the conduits of God's blessing, and we get the ability, the, the gift, the opportunity to do so. But the blessing is not what we bring to the table. It's the spirit inside of us that becomes alive, and then we get to impart that blessing to those around us. Because here's the reality. We never get more of Jesus than when we're giving him away. This is the call of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God's presence isn't fully activated until we start paying that forward. We never get more of Jesus until we are intentionally trying to release the Spirit in worship sets, in mission, in evangelism, when we're in community together. We are the conduit of the Spirit of God and the blessing of God. What an opportunity for the church to be the church. Okay, so let's say you're living green. Let's say you have this vision of multiplication Uh, what's next? And this is where I think the rubber really hits the road. This is where a lot of Christians, I think, falter when it comes to making disciples because they, 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 they might have the head knowledge, they might even be living this out themselves, but what is the actual trigger that needs to get pulled when it comes to actually making disciples? What does that look like? And I think it's when disciple makers walk in what I call strategic intentionality when they're strategically intentional about inviting people into their own lives, both organically and in organized ways. This is that third bullet point in the disciple-making essentials. And I want to kind of stop a train of thought in a lot of people's heads that just started, the eye roll of, oh my gosh, great, another thing to add to my schedule. I don't have time to do that because I am and fill in the blank. If you're a college student, because I'm taking five classes a semester, because I've got to study for the MCAT, I just started my dissertation. If you're a young professional, then you're like, man, I've got to get this internship, I've got to get that residency, or whatever the case may be, because I need to climb up that uh, the corporate ladder. If you're a young family with young kids, you laugh at the thought of even putting anything on your plate. You're just trying to survive with the three young children in your home. If you have the older children, you're like, okay, so where am I supposed to put discipleship? I have, I have ballet on this day, I have sports this day. I have competitions this weekend that takes up every waking hour of your time. And I get it. We're busy. That seems to be like our cultural badge of honor. I mean, think about it. When you ask people how they're doing, what's eight out of ten people's responses? Oh, I'm just busy, man. I got a lot of stuff going on. You kind of weed into it. They're actually not. They just say that. But sometimes you are busy. Like, we're going to win an award for being busy. But my question is, like, who told us that being busy is an accolade? Because it definitely wasn't Jesus. Because what we do is subsequent to who we are and our intrinsic worth and our value is in who we are in Christ, not what we do. Even spiritual things, it's not in that, it's in who we are in him. And it's just a thought. If you're too busy to make disciples, your life is probably a little just too busy in general. And we might want to shift some things up in that. Great book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you haven't read that, that's a really good one for helping to kind of shift that hurriedness in your life. But with that being said, even if you are busy, here's the great secret of the best disciple makers. The best disciple makers don't add anything to their schedule. They simply invite people into the things that they're already doing. Right? You don't have to extend yourself overextend yourself to make disciples. You create overlap in your life, okay? This is strategic intentionality. And what I mean by that is there are ways to maximize your kingdom ROI, if you will, if you're already going to do it anyways. 
Right now, I mentioned these two words, organic and organized. And, and biblically, we see this happen in Mark 3.14. It says this. It says that Jesus appointed the 12 disciples that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Okay, Jesus was strategic. He was intentional about training them in how to do ministry, how to preach with authority. But he also had time to just be with his disciples. Right? So Jesus didn't just hope that their disciples would randomly pick up the things that he wanted them to learn when he was in the synagogue. No, he did everything on purpose. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus was going to do things anyway, and he invited these disciples to come with him to do that. And there are things in your life that you're already doing that are already leading you into the presence of God or following God or trying to pursue Jesus in some way. Some of these things could be things like um, going to church on Sunday, going to microchurch once a week, praying, reading your Bible, sitting in the presence of God and worship, memorizing scripture, fasting, whatever the case may be, there are things that you're doing that's exponentially increasing the, the, the relationship that you have, setting time apart to grow with the Lord. And these are the moments where you can invite someone into your life without adding anything to it, right? So on Thursday mornings, for example, I spend time praying, especially for my family, for my marriage, um, and, and I had three guys that were engaged, and so I just said, hey guys, do you want to come read a book with me on being a good husband and just seek the Lord and pray and just pray for one another when it comes to our families and your future families? They said, yes. Okay, great. I'm already doing that. I invite them in, and we've been doing that for a few months now. Right, so on, on the weekends, the Ulrich family, we try to Sabbath. We try to Sabbath once a week. Take a day, we set that apart where we're not doing anything. We're just being with God and with each other. And hopefully, if that's the point of the Sabbath, we're trying to seek the Lord on that day, right? Um, one of the things I like to do is, is worship. Now, I play Christian guitar, and what that means is I can do a C, a G, and a D, and I functionally can play like 85% of all Christian music. So I'm a total poser, but it works because that's kind of where Christian music is. We need, we need to update a little bit. But I like to do that, and I invited my daughter Alethea into that, and it's just been so, so precious to me. I sit on the fireplace, I play the guitar, and I say, baby, we're not going to sing anybody else's song. I want you to, the Bible says sing a new song to the Lord. So just sing from your heart. And I'll tell you what, man, there are days where I just am like weeping, listening to this nine-year-old just sing her heart out to God. It's like spirit-led, just theology coming out of her mouth. And it's, it's, not, it's not some song she heard on the radio. It's just straight from her spirit, right to the Holy Spirit. And something changes in the room when somebody's just giving themselves fully to God in that way. And, and as a dad, oh my gosh, my heart is just so full of joy watching my daughter worship the Lord. It's just so richly blessed my soul beyond anything I can imagine. And, and it happened because I simply invited her into something I'm already doing. I could go on. I hang out with a couple guys on Tuesday morning and we seek the Lord together in somebody else's garage um, because it's just sharpening, it's encouraging, and I love it. Um, you know, I invite people to my microchurch. I invite people on Sunday. I invite people to fast with me on the days I'm fasting, to memorize the scriptures I'm memorizing. So you're already doing it. The key is just strategically and intentionally shifting and changing and training your brain to say, who can I invite with me to do this? We're not adding to our schedule. We're simply inviting people in. You're already tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I'm asking you to let somebody else have a bite. Let them in. Let them in. In fact, right now, I want you to take like a minute, and I want you to write down three things that you do already that you're doing to seek God, to do something with him that you could invite someone into 
as well. And if you're new, if you're just checking Christianity, you're like, I don't know what this dude's talking about. No problem. Just sit back, relax, and let us kind of do a little like uh, activity, so to speak, in church here. But I want you to take one minute, just write down three things that you're already doing. You can write it on your cheat sheet. You can write it on your, on your phone. If you're in the chat right now, you could write it in the chat and kind of start like some synergy there. What are some things that you're already doing that you could invite someone in? Extroverts, if you want to talk to somebody about it, it's fine. You can. Introverts, just pretend like you're frantically writing so that nobody talks to you. We know we're going to do it anyway. Introverts, extroverts, respect that. But let's take a minute and just write down a few things that you could do. Actually, I should say that you're already doing that you could bring someone in with you. All right? Take that time now. All right, this is just kind of a prime the pump type of scenario. There's so many things more that you could be doing. But these are just a few things that you could already invite people into your life. Now, here's the deal, though. The organized things, the spiritual things, they happen hopefully on a daily basis. But what about the other like 22 to 23 and a half hours of the day when we're not doing the spiritual things, right? This is the organic time because disciples don't just go run off and commune with God and then kind of pretend like it didn't happen the rest of the day, right? The sacred and the secular are always blended and fused together if we're following Jesus. Everywhere we go has kingdom potential and opportunity. Every, everything that we do, everything we say, everywhere we go, the non-spiritual moments of our life are invitations for God to in, break in and just come and show up and show out in some way, right? Again, Mark 3.14, Jesus appointed the disciples to be with him. Right? It wasn't just always Bible time. There was priority on the relationship as well. And this is massively huge when it comes to discipleship because teaching someone is a very Western way of thinking. Discipleship is more than just disseminating information. It is life lived and the invitation to embark on a transformative experience with the Spirit of God, with the community of God. We ask people to follow us as we follow Christ, and we allow them to experience, again, to taste and see that God is good. Paul says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Discipleship is more than just right doctrine. It's the impartation of a life lived with Jesus. And disciple makers allow others to see what that looks like, to see what that means to others as their life unfolds with Jesus at the center of it. Again, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, but he doesn't stop there. Now, Paul says, also, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Timothy got to see how Paul responded in victory, in defeat, in persecution, in his highs, in his lows, when he had to pray, when he had to wait, when he was pushing against Pharisees, when he was with the disciples, when he was going and being bold and proclaiming the gospel. Timothy got to see all of this. And that's why Timothy was able to lead all the churches that he led because he saw Paul do it first and he was able to reproduce Jesus in Paul in the, in the congregations and the people that he was discipling as well. So people, we, we don't need to, people just see us when we seek the Lord. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They can't just see all your good stuff and none of your bad because then they get a complex that you're so great and they're not at all. So we have to let people see our lives from every angle. And this is that organic time of things, just having meals together going to the gym together, watching a Gator game with somebody, uh, working out, studying, play dates with your kids, playing golf, whatever you do, invite people in and let them see what Jesus looks like throughout your day. I would argue that the disciples probably learned more from Jesus on the road and on the way than when they were formerly sitting in the synagogue, 
right? I mean, how many times did they just have mind-blowing experiences with Jesus because Jesus was in tune with the Father, and when they were at Peter's house and his mom got sick, Jesus prayed for it and she got healed. When they were at the wedding, he turned water into wine. When they were fishing, the boat almost tipped over because Jesus said, go here. And they just got to see what it looked like to follow God in all these normal, everyday experiences, and it changed the way that they interacted with God because they saw what it looked like to be with God outside of the spiritual times. All right, so finally, the fourth element of the disciple-making essentials is the ability to help define, assess, and progress discipleship in someone's life. Define, assess, and progress. And this is quite simple, actually, but it's one of those things that takes a little bit of explanation. Take the discipleship pathway, for example. Look at your sheet. you got the discipleship pathway. We've already defined that for you, the five points. Your job as a disciple or a disciple-maker is to assess where you're at or where your disciple is at and then help them progress to the next step. So why don't you do that right now? Look at the discipleship pathway. Look, circle where you're at. Are you kind of in the like, I'm just figuring this out. I'm kind of new. Are you interested in spirituality? Are you a believer? Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple maker? Or if you're discipling someone, you can put a star next to where you think they are as well. And then we define it. We assess it. Then we help them progress in that discipleship, right? Have you ever heard about that? Have you ever heard something? Someone's like, oh, it's so easy. Just define this prayer. And, and it sounds easy when you hear it, but then you try to do it yourself and it gets kind of hard. It's kind of like when the, those infomercials that they're like, oh, just click these two things into place and it's fine. And then you get it at home and you're about to lose your salvation because it's like, it doesn't fit. Like, I mean, it's just kind of one of those things that just drives you crazy. This is, this is not one of those things, okay? This is one of those things that you can use in any aspect of discipleship big picture discipleship pathway, or even in the small nuances of discipleship as well. So let's say you're discipling somebody and, and, and they're a believer and you want them to help to become a green disciple who's worshiping, on mission, in community. All right, what does that look like? We've assessed where they're at. How do you progress them in their discipleship? I like to use the three words on the cheat sheet that are learn, live, and reproduce. Learn, live, reproduce. Okay, so these three words help actually take assessment and transform that into progression. So take, for example, you've got a disciple and you're trying to teach him how to memorize scripture. All right, first question is, are they doing it, right? Define, assess, and now we're going to help them progress. Let's say they're not doing it. All right, so are they learning it? We've got to start with learning because if we just have them do stuff, or just memorize these scriptures, oh, just fast this day. Why? I don't know, just do it. Then we're starting to create Pharisees because they're doing the spiritual act without the heart or the content behind it. So what we do is we help them learn why we do this. So let's say memorizing scripture. We're teaching them why we hide the word in our heart. And so then after they know why, then we... They've learned it. We help them to live it, to actually do it. But then again, we don't stop there. Then we help them to reproduce that in other people. So let's say Judith is helping to disciple, um, I don't know, let's say Maria. And so Judith says, okay, so help. All right, now we're going to memorize it. Here's why. Let's do it together. And then, so she's learned. Maria has learned it. She's lived it. Now Judith's goal is to help Maria reproduce that. So she would say to Maria, all right, now name two ladies that you could potentially memorize scripture with. And so then the chain keeps going. The discipleship chain keeps going from generation to generation to generation. So we want green, multiplying disciples who are intentionally living life with other people in organic and organized ways who can help them to define, assess, and progress discipleship, right? So we're going teaching heavy today. If you're not a teacher, we're almost done. Don't worry. If you are, I'm hoping you're eating this up a bit. But... You're like, okay, sounds great, Matt. So where do I start? What, what does this look like for me, though? I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. All right, here's two 
very practical takeaways from this. All right, at the bottom of that cheat sheet, you see three different curriculums. We've got a green book, which is our fluencies. It's kind of like the heartbeat of our church, what we believe, why we do what we do. You could take that and walk somebody through that. It's written in a way that it's conversational. It's got questions in there. You could kind of take someone through it. The greenhouse discipleship assessment is the next one. It's an assessment that helps you to do just that, to define, assess, and progress where you're at in living in the green, worship, mission, community. It's great for you personally. It's even better as a discipleship tool to see where the person you're discipling is at and where to take them. There's like 40 different teaching resources you could use from that. There's also foundations. So if you're new to the faith or if you know someone who is newer to the faith, you can teach them kind of these basic blocks of Christianity and help them learn and then live and then hopefully start reproduce as well. Now, maybe you're just still like, okay, Matt, that's great. I still need somebody to show me how to do that. There's a little QR code in the bottom right-hand corner. It goes to a type form. Basically, it's going to ask your name, your number, your email, and what campus you go to. And it's basically just a thing that you're just saying, I want help making disciples. Send that into us. This is what we do, church. This is why I'm here. This is why the pastoral staff is here. We want to help make disciples and help make disciple makers. So if you want help with that, we'll get you in discipleship training. We'll hook you up with a disciple maker. If you're looking for people to disciple, we'll figure that out with you. Just send us your information, and we're not going to spam you. We're not going to do anything crazy, but we would like to help you along with that. This is our joy, to help people fall more in love with Jesus and let that happen in their lives with other people as well. So you can just kind of hit that QR code, sign up, and we will get in touch with you in the next few weeks and get you connected in some form or fashion. All right, but before we go, I want to look back at the Great Commission one more time because there's an important thing about this when we read it. I'm going to reread verses 18 through 20 for you. And it says this, Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. It's important to see how this begins and how it ends. Because it begins with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. It begins with Jesus giving his authority and saying, listen, you don't have the authority to do this, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to grace you with that authority. And it ends with him saying, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of me, I'm going to give to you. And that's not only going to be given to you. I'm not going to give it and take away. It's going to be with you to the very end of the age. I'm going to be with you. That's so key, church, because making disciples is not just another religious duty. It's not just a function of the church. It is the partnership that God has imagined since the beginning of time where his people come together with him and they go and do something beautiful in this world where people really get to see who God is and explore that with other people and see new life be birthed inside of them and then have the pleasure of reproducing that in other people as well. We get to partner with the living God to bring heaven on earth. What? So it happens out of the overflow of our relationship with him. That's the only way. We, we don't, you can't make disciples without God. We don't need more of you, y'all. Sorry. But we do need more of Jesus inside of you overflowing into the lives of other people. And that happens when we abide, when we take time in our daily lives to just get in the presence of God and be transformed by it so that we have those fli- the, the, the rivers of living water flowing in and then out of us into those around us.